Hey friends, it's Weston, and I wanted to take just a second to thank you for listening to the Bowling Green Christian Church Sermon Podcast. If someone recommended this message to you, I hope that it encourages you. If you're here getting caught up on a week you missed, I hope that it challenges you. And if you're a visitor checking us out, I hope that it helps you connect with Jesus and his church. Whoever you are, whenever you're ready to take your next step closer to Jesus or to connect with a BGCC family, know that we're here for you. You can learn more about how to connect with us by downloading our app when you text BGCC app to 77977. There in the app, you can submit prayer requests, find out about upcoming events, and even give to help support our ministry, including this podcast. It's my prayer that God uses this message to encourage and equip you to take your next best step in life, which is always one step closer to Jesus. All right, here we go. Election 2020. Man, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Early voting opens this week. I don't know if you saw that. It's going to be at Sky Pack. They're not doing anything else there right now, so I might as well go, go vote. Encourage you to do that. I do think that as Christians, we have a spiritual and moral and civic duty to work for the good of our community and our society. And one of the best ways we can do that is by voting. It's incredibly important, I think, for us to go and to vote and to participate in that process. Now, here's what I know is that God has not uh, endorsed or ordained any candidate that's on the ballot. Nobody's running in God's party, uh, in God's kingdom. Uh, That's not there. Uh, The king of universe is not an elected position. It's not something that we're going to vote on this year either. Uh, That one's been decided. Um, And so we have a little bit of a tension, I think, with the political process, especially when we start to try to bring in faith and religion and how do these things work. Now, let me tell you, we might think we've got a mess, we've got a problem. I promise you it is nothing nearly as bad as what they had in the very first century. During the time of Jesus, you had religion and government were kind of mixed together. They were blended together. They were put you know, in different parties. And so you had a couple different powers at work. You had Rome, which was represented largely by, by the Herod dynasty. And then later Pontius Pilate's going to come and become a regional governor there in the south. And so you've got sort of two power plays taking place within this government. Uh, you've got the sort of semi-autonomous Jewish state, which wasn't really allowed to do much in terms of punishment, or at least they couldn't put anybody to death except for those that wandered into the temple uh, without authorization. Uh, That was the only thing they could do, but you've got these people vying for political power. And so you've got different uh, ways that the Jewish folks had made peace with Rome. You've got some that would be called the Herodians. And these were people who had realized that Herod was going to be in power and that the best thing they could do is sort of just sort of cozy up to him and they were going to be pro-Herod, they were going to be pro-Rome and their hope was that they would, you know, have a better life as a result of that. Now you had another sect of, of Jewish folks that we would refer to as the Sadducees. They are effectively the temple aristocracy. They are the priests, the high priest. Uh, an office that was not supposed to be political became very political when Rome said that they were going to determine who the high priest was. And so you've got the Herodians, very pro-Herod. You've got the Sadducees who have made a deal with Herod, uh, and even some of that happened through marriage. Uh, they've made a deal there with Herod, and so they're sort of the temple leaders. Uh, they're pro-Rome um, you know, to an extent uh, as much as they need to be. 
Then you've got another group of people we refer to as the Pharisees. These would have been sort of the blue-collar working class uh, leaders. They would have been what we would think of as pastors today. You know, they, they're teaching in synagogues in areas. You know, some are in Jerusalem, some are in other areas. Uh, and they are leading, you know, prayer. They're helping people navigate life and study scripture. And they are, you know, less pro-Rome. They are going to be more sort of, you know, we want to have our own, you know, rule. We don't want to have the thumb of Rome on top of us. You go a little bit further away from Rome and you end up with people like um, the Iscariots or the Zealots. And these were people who were actively working against Rome because God had, you know, told them so. And they were convinced this was their mission. And so they would resist Rome at every chance, sometimes violently. They were known for violence, in fact. And so you've got those folks. And then, you know, looking at all of this, and I've only hit sort of the four or five major sects that were, you know, popular at this point in time, but into all of this, you've got another group called the Essenes. The Essenes looked at everybody that was there, and, and they literally said to hell with all of you because they were convinced that everybody was going to go to hell except them. And so they, were, they had just moved out in the desert, and they said, well, we're going to live in our own community. We're going to do things our way, and that's how it's going to be. And you know, you're all going to face judgment, but God's going to deliver us. And so this is the climate you have. And each and every one of these groups is convinced that God is on their side, that God has told them this is what they're out to do, and you've got this, this really nasty mix of, of religion and faith and, and political power all sort of you know, stewing around at this point in time. And now you've got this guy, Jesus, who says, hey, listen, I've come to tell you that God's kingdom, in fact, has come. And it's a very political message. It's a very dangerous message for Jesus to be, to be preaching. He tells a lot of parables about them. And, and I want to look at one today because I think that this parable helps to make a little bit of sense of, of how we can sort of put together, or maybe it's not we put it together, but how do we respond to different claims of faith mixed together in all of this? Uh, most people call this the parable of the weeds, and it's found in Matthew 13. And I want to read the text to you. I'm going to read the text, um, and then Jesus is going to tell two other little parables in between the parable that we're looking at and the explanation that he'll give of this parable. So Matthew 13, verse 24, it's in the app. It's also in your Bible. Um, it says, Jesus told them another parable. <coughs> Excuse me. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared, and the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did all these weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Well, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. So let them both grow together until harvest. And at that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Jesus is then going to tell two more parables, and then he, he, he picks up with an explanation here in verse 36. It says, he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. 
The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. And as weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And they will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. There's a lot of truths that we can pull out from this. But the first one I think that we've got to come to grips with is this, is that God is not the only divine agent at work in the world. God is not the only divine agent at work in the world. It's not popular to talk about the devil. It is not popular to talk about hell. But Scripture is clear that there is a devil, that he is actively working against God's people and against the purpose and love of God. And we've got to come to grips with the fact that there are more than one agent at work in the world today. Now, this passage makes it pretty clear that God only sows good. And it's the devil who plants deception, who plants destruction, who plants corruption. That's what the devil does. God, he puts what is good there. Last week, we saw how the devil actively works against the purposes and things of God. We saw that in the parable of the sowers, that seed, the the seed of the kingdom, the the message of the word of, of God goes out, that the devil will come and he'll snatch it away from people whose hearts are hard. Today we'll see that if he can't snatch that seed away, that what he'll do instead is plant things around that seed in hopes of afflicting it or turning it away from God. You see, the devil sows divisive people into the world. That's, I think, pretty clear here. He sows sin into the world and destruction into the world. And we'll see this particularly true in the church. This is where Satan's going to attack. We're going to see it. It's going to happen in politics. That's absolutely true. And these aren't people that are just simply imperfect, mind you, because none of us are perfect. These are people who are actively working against the purposes of God. They're like Cain. Uh, John, one of Jesus' disciples, he writes about this. And in 1 John chapter 3, he says, Don't be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. These are people who look at the good that others are doing and they're saying, man, I just, you know, that goodness, I, I just don't like it. It makes me sick. It makes me feel bad about myself, you know, whatever the motive is. And they actively work to destroy the good that God is doing. God says, you know, there's people out there that are like that. There's other people out there, people that pretend to be from God. Second Corinthians talks about this. So such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder. For Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. Paul is telling the church in Corinth, he's saying, listen, not everybody that comes to you and claims the name of Jesus is from Jesus. Not everybody that comes to you in the name of God has been sent by God. Be alert, pay attention. There's not just one divine agent at work in the world. There's one who's working to deceive and to destroy. There's a third way that God uh, is interfered by Satan, that Satan tries to discredit the work. You've got people that, that, that preach a different kind of gospel, a gospel that requires works to do what Jesus has already done. A gospel that says we have to be, you know, this kind of person or, or, you know, attain to this level of holiness or righteousness or we've got to act this way or or be this way or vote this way. Otherwise, we're not part of God's kingdom. And Paul in Galatians calls this out too. He says, I'm so astonished 
that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. You know, I love the way that Kyle Eidelman will talk about this text. He'll say, listen, really what Paul is telling us is that Jesus alone is the gospel, but Jesus plus anything else is not the gospel. And it's true. Jesus alone is the good news. It's the, he's the secret of the kingdom of heaven. Anything plus Jesus is not the gospel. Now, well, why does the devil do this? You know, why is this war being waged? It's real simple. You know, the devil is battling for souls. God is battling for souls. He's trying to win back all of us who've been lost to the curse of sin, and that's everybody in humanity. This war that God is fighting for us isn't about four years or six years or eight years or even a hundred, but it is for eternity. God wants to save our souls for his kingdom. This battle isn't about whether or not we're going to be a conservative nation or a liberal nation. It's not whether or not we're going to have a left-leaning court or a right-leaning court. This battle is about really where are people going to spend eternity, in the presence of God, in heaven, or outside of the presence of God, and we call that place hell. And they're both real places, and the battle is serious. And Jesus is saying, listen, it's important that you get this, that you realize that there's more than just one agent at work. You've got to be discerning. You've got to be aware. You've got to be prepared. You know, we like to believe that everybody makes it into heaven, that whenever anybody dies, they, you know, they turn into an angel, you know, just because they were nominally better than they were evil. But that is not the message of Scripture. The message of Scripture is that we are all tainted by sin and that we are all deserving of death and that the only way to escape that is to enter into God's kingdom, which is to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's it. That's the message that's what's so vitally important. And because of that, that's what the church is for, is to help people find God's kingdom. We can't be distracted by things that would take us away from our primary purpose. God's created us as these spiritual beings, and he wants so desperately for us to accept his love and his invitation of grace. Friends, We've got to not be distracted or allow ourselves to be divided by politics and people who are working against the purposes and things of God. So what do we do? How do we navigate this? Well, we've got to come up with another realization here. And this, this is a difficult one. But we've got to realize that in this world, we cannot always discern between what is from God and what is from the devil. Now, I know that sounds difficult or sounds strange, but that's what this passage is telling us, is, is the landowner is saying, listen, you can't go out and just pull up, you know, these weeds, you know, sort of ad hoc. It, it, you're going to get some of it wrong. You're going you're gonna to inadvertently pull up some of the wheat. You're going to, you know, you're going to damage some of that. I, I don't want that. I want to make sure that everybody makes it that is, that is, that is mine. You know, it, it, we get mixed up, though, when we start to, to add in different things into our faith. And we start to allow politics to, to get in here and start to mix up divine proclamations into political policy. It, it dilutes the gospel. It confuses it. And we've got to be clear to not do that. We've got to be so careful. 
You know, for example, it's interesting to me that, you know, this issue of illegal uh, immigration is one of those things that divides a lot of Christians. You've got some people on one side will say, you know, this is the law of the land and there's, there's legal ways to enter and there's all these sorts of processes and things that you do. And, and you know, Romans tells us that we should obey the law and, and uh, respect authority and these types of things. And so we've got to make sure we do, you know, all this type of stuff right. And you've got, you know, good godly people saying, you know, we've got to have stricter enforcement on issues like, you know, immigration. You've got other Christians who will say, well, you know, the Old Testament talks about welcoming the stranger and the immigrant. We've got to make sure that, that we're loving and we're responding in, in, in kindness to people that are, are, are trying to find their way into a place of refuge. And, and so you've got good Christ-following people on both sides. And the truth is God's kingdom is big enough for both of these opinions, and yet neither one of them is the gospel. And yet, how often do we try to sort of demonize each other based on, you know, somebody else's view? Well, that view is, is wrong. It doesn't line up with what I see in Romans. Or, you know, say, well, it doesn't line up with what I see, you know, God's heart there in the Old Testament. You know, we've got all these conflicting opinions, and we start to, you know, pull out people of God's kingdom. We say, well, I think that's a weed. And, you know, we pull that person out, or I think that person's not part of the kingdom, and we're going to, you know, pull them out. And God is saying, listen, that's what we can't do. We cannot start to destroy and uproot what I'm doing because we're going to just make a mess of things. We're just going to make a mess of things. You know, these are nuanced discussions, and they deserve to be had, but they should not be confused with the gospel. You know, God in this text, you know, he's the landowner, right? And it says that, you know, he says, listen, let those weeds grow. If you've done any gardening, you know that that is a bad idea. You know, the longer you let the weeds grow, what happens? The deeper the roots get and the bigger they are and they start to take over things. The best course of action really is to go ahead and pull those up when they're little and small and to get them out so that way it doesn't choke out the plants and it doesn't take over and the roots don't go so deep. So why is it that God is saying, let those weeds alone? Is it that he's a terrible gardener? Or is it that he has a different value system maybe than we have? Just think for a minute. I think that the issue is God's value system. God is saying, listen, I would rather let all those weeds stay than for you to pull out one person from my kingdom. I would rather let all those weeds grow and let all that stay in there than for you to inadvertently pull out one person from my kingdom. God says, we can't have that. It's not worth the risk. You know, you might pull up the wrong one because they're too immature to really discern between, is this a weed? Is this weed? You can't really tell. You're going to pull one out. You're going to leave the other one. Or perhaps when you pull up one, its roots have already gotten entangled with the the wheat seed, and you might inadvertently rip it out. God says, we're just going to leave it alone. We're going to let it be the way that it is. And for some reason, God in his wisdom has decided to not fight a battle on every single front that the devil picks a fight with him on. He said, listen, I'm going to deal with evil once and for all at the end of time in a decisive way. But until then, we're going to have to live with it. Now, I think there is a wisdom in this because if you think about it in terms of people, I mean, what would happen if the church, if we were to, you know, we're going to have an elders meeting later today. What would happen if we printed out the church roster today and just based on your Facebook posts and the way that we've had interactions with you, we just decided who was in God's kingdom and who wasn't in God's kingdom. And we just started, you know, crossing names off the list and, and maybe somebody said, you know, I, you know, I got into a conversation with them once and I, I'm going to cross them off the list. And we started just pulling people out of the church and we just sort of sent you a note sometime this week and said, hey, thanks for playing, but you're clearly not part of God's kingdom, so don't show up 
up next week. And, you know, what if we just send those letters out and then all of a sudden you came back next week and there's even less people here. And you're like, well, what happened to so-and-so? Well, we told them to hit the road because, you know, we didn't like the way that they, you know, were talking about things. And, you know, what would you do? You'd probably say, well, that's my friend. I know that person. That's a good person. How can you pull them out of the church like that? And it might damage your faith. What do you think it's going to do to that person? It's going to destroy their faith. God says, listen, you can't know all these things. You can't discern the heart. So you're going to have to sometimes put up with some things because you can't always tell. You can't always discern. So we've got to leave some of that alone. Now, what do we do? Well, we're going to have to trust that God's got judgment handled and so we're going to leave the judgment to God, and we're going to combat the evil with love like Jesus. We don't really have to know who's in and who's out. We don't really have to know who's right and who's wrong for us to know what's right for us to do. We don't have to know who's part of God's kingdom in order for us to be people that live as kingdom citizens. We don't need to know that. We just need to know that God has called us to be people of love, and we can do that. We can move forward in a place of love. Now notice, and I don't want to make too little of evil, but notice that the evil that's sowed in the field really ends up just being an inconvenience. You know, the the, the weed seeds themselves, they don't affect the, the wholeness of the seed that's been planted. Yes, it's inconvenient. Yes, it's going to crowd it. Yes, it's going to be a problem, but it doesn't infect its being it doesn't infect the interior of the plant. It just affects its environment and its surrounding. And yes, it can be really difficult. And we all know that evil can be really painful. We see that happen in the world. But God says, you know, what it's not going to do is it's not going to damage your soul. It's not going to destroy you. That's what evil does. It's sowed around us, yes. And it is inconvenient and it is painful and it is problematic. But it doesn't affect who we are. It doesn't affect our identity. That's what the devil does. He can affect all sorts of things that surround us, but our soul, if we've entrusted it to God, is kept safe by Jesus Christ. That's the beautiful message, I think, here. Now, evil, it's hard to understand. We're, we're not going to pretend to make sense of it. Notice the workers in the text themselves, when they start to see that evil has come up in this field of good that God has planted, what's the first question they ask? Is they go, well, how did this happen? You know, why is this happening they're just like us. You know, why does this happen? Why does this evil happen? Where does this come from? And the only answer we get is that an enemy did this. God says, I planted what was good. The devil sowed what was bad. The book of James, written by Jesus' half-brother, same, same mom, different dads. Uh, James says, listen, every good and perfect gift comes from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. Because God only gives good gifts the things that come to us in life that are difficult and evil and painful. Well, I shouldn't just say difficult. I should just say evil and, and painful. Those are the things that come from the devil. Now, God can use those for our good, but God doesn't send those. We've got to be clear that God is sending good things to us. And so when we encounter evil, we've got to realize that that's not come from God, but we've got to do something with it, don't we? I mean, what are we going to do? The, the owner, he simply says this. He says, let them both grow. Let them alone. Now, I don't want to make too much of this, but that word let is kind of an interesting word because it's actually also translated forgive. We just prayed that prayer today. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's actually the same word. Same word in the Greek. Forgive, let it alone. Forgive, let it be. 
forgive. Maybe it's just forgive. Maybe that's not an accident. Maybe it's intentional. Maybe that's the right word. Maybe what this parable is teaching us is that when we encounter sin, we have to forgive. We have to forgive it. You know, it's not a passive response. It's not burying your head in the sand to the sin around you. It's an intentional choice that says, I will permit, I will forgive, I will move forward. Maybe that word isn't so different from ours in the English, right? We say, well, just let it alone, let it go, let it be. Forgive. That's the response to evil. And I don't know about you, but I think we need a little more forgiveness and grace right now. We need to extend grace to others when they get it wrong this election season because we won't always get everything right ourselves. We need grace. And when it comes to bigger things, painful things, forgiveness is what allows us to move forward in our life. When we encounter evil that's been done to us, then guess what? Forgiving it is really the only way to move forward. Otherwise, you're stuck in the past with it. And we can do this. We can forgive because we know that God is going to make all things right in the end. That at the end of time, God is going to come and he's going to pull up. It says all causes of evil, all temptation, all the evil. It says he's going to pull all that up and out and destroy it. And then we'll be left with goodness, God's goodness and love. And so in the meantime, what do we do? We forgive. We let it grow. We let it alone You know, I think we become ineffective when we become distracted on being people who are judging as opposed to people who are forgiving. And it distracts us from our primary purpose. According to the National Highway Transportation, um, 9% of all fatal accidents in the last about six, seven, eight years have been as a result of distracted driving. 23,000 people uh, in that time, 2012 to 2018, died because of a distracted driver 2018 alone, you had almost 3,000 people killed by distracted drivers. Why? Because the driver wasn't paying attention to their primary purpose, which is driving. Things happen when we get distracted from our primary purpose, when we allow what isn't our main purpose to overtake what is our primary purpose. And as Christ followers, that is loving people the way Jesus loves them, the way that Jesus loves us and extending grace and forgiveness. Friends, during this election season, my goal is to not discredit myself for all time because I got caught up with what was gonna happen in a few months or a few years. It saddens me when we see devout religious leaders connect their faith to political personality And then all of a sudden they've discredited themselves and disconnected themselves from large portions of society. It happens all the time. Now, I mean, yes, we stand up for the issues. We stand up for the things that matter. Yes, we stand up for what we believe is righteousness and just and goodness. But there's only one God. There's only one Savior. We connect our faith to him. And when we do that, that gives us the power to face the evil in our world with love and forgiveness and grace. This morning... As the worship team comes out, I think the big thing I really want us to remember is that God's kingdom is about God. A lot of people will invoke the name of God and call on God to advance their own purposes. And while I can't tell you all the ways that we could probably discern whether somebody's truly a follower of Jesus or not, I can tell you that if somebody's not advancing the kingdom of God, then they are not working for the purpose of God. 
that is true. And so I think we all have, as we sing this song, probably a little bit of confession to make to the Lord. We probably have a little bit of places where we've got to say to Jesus, God, I got, I got it wrong. My priorities were off. I spent too much time judging and not enough time loving and forgiving. I spent too much time being consumed with a kingdom that wasn't going to last for eternity. I've been more passionate about this kingdom than the kingdom that's really going to matter. I've been more passionate about, about an election than about somebody's soul. Friends, our, our priorities, they're all sideways. Mine are. I, I know I'm consumed in the 24-hour news cycle just the same way you are. But it's important for me to be here because it reminds me that, no, there's a kingdom that outlasts, and that's God's kingdom. And so as we sing this song, I would say, let's, let's just have that time of, of reset where we sort of put to the side and we say, Jesus, we're going to put you first in our heart and our affections and our thoughts. And let's allow that to, to inform the way we act this week. Maybe there's that one person that you need to extend a little more grace and forgiveness to. And now that you get your priorities a little bit straighter, you realize, you know what? Jesus loves me. I don't get everything right all the time. I'm going to love and forgive them. We're going to sing the song as we get ready to come to this time of communion. And I really want us to come to the table together in a place where we've just laid it all out before God and we've got a clean slate with him. So take this time right now to get your heart and mind right with Jesus. And if you need some help talking about that, praying about that, I'm going to be sitting up here. I'd love to pray with you. But let's use this time right now to say, God, we want you to be first because you're the only thing that matters. You're the only thing that's going to last. Why don't you stand as we sing?